What is crackalacking, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Damp Valley coming at you with some more hoops talk later than normal on this Friday because I pulled an all-nighter at work, a quasi all-nighter. I did go to bed at 5.30 for like three and a half hours, got up, had to do a radio interview, figured might as well record a podcast and talk about a couple things that I really wanted to discuss this week but couldn't. Before we get started, the usual housekeeping notes, please remember to subscribe to us wherever you're getting um, these podcasts. If you're on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Um, positive discourse or at least constructive discourse is always appreciated. I need to do a better job of steering clear of the people who just accuse us of not watching basketball or just telling us we're wrong or that we suck um, and only answer the positive comments. Maybe just make myself less successful on YouTube regardless, but please subscribe on YouTube, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google play, as we continue to try and build the community. And, you know, speaking of that, the sort of year end reflection here, um, in the interest of being more open, I normally don't get into numbers just because I think part of me has always been a little embarrassed that we're not bigger somehow relative to the general NBA space, but we're also in a very localized focused content era right now where it does feel like um, unless you are a social media influencer or have this huge following or, or are super popular and of course great at what you do, but it just feels like the, the general NBA pods are not as, bigger or as popular and even if they're as popular there might be disdain for them that's not a woe is me i think the local coverage is just so good and so in depth that it gives fans um even analysts just sort of this um niche to 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 live in to immerse themselves in and as someone who tries to listen to as many singular team podcasts as i can i totally get the appeal but this was a a good year for hardwood Knox. we are probably going to finish with around between 410 to 420,000 downloads. And that's just not including anything we do on, on YouTube or anyone who does watch our IG and TikTok clips, please follow us on there as well at hardwood underscore Knox and IG at hardwood Knox on TikTok at hardwood Knox on, on Twitter. And so it's a number I'm proud of. I would like it to be bigger. Um, but at the same time, uh, as my phone alarm goes off there, I did also want to make a note that Hardwood Knox will probably be scaling back at some point in the near future. Uh, it will not be immediately. We want to get through a Western Conference mailbag. And there's a bunch of other things that I wanted to actually focus on. But in the interest of full transparency here, like we're Grant and I are just not, and this isn't to air dirty laundry. I don't want people tagging the company. We're just not getting paid right now to do this. And neither of us do this for that. Um, we are both full-timers at Bleach Report, and so this is something that we do on the side of the passion project. But we and I specifically invested way too much time, I think, in building what's a top-notch podcast that does have a steady stream of, of listenership. And I'm going to, you know, to focus on it as much as I have where I've tried to be, and I enjoy it. I enjoy being accessible on Discord, on YouTube. I'm putting out a ton of content, trying to build up all the social platforms, working with Shout Out Ian. Um, to to find good social clips that we've been killing it with, if, quite frankly, over the past month or so. Um, I have to focus my time elsewhere on stuff that's actually going to make money, and I will figure out the future of the podcast. It's not going anywhere, but I do feel an obligation because I think we have not the biggest listenership, but a loyal listenership, and I don't know how far we'll scale back. I don't know exactly when it'll happen, but it will happen until we figure it out. Um, it has been suggested to me that maybe we should open a Patreon. I just don't, this would, I don't think my ego could handle it when we don't have any, um, Patreon subscribers. I like the idea of having a free pod. I don't think people are very much interested in paying 
um, for a general NBA pod, let alone this NBA pod. If it's something with Dunked On Prime where they offer you all those different types of services, I totally get it. I don't think it's it's worth it for us, and I never wanted to have it behind a paywall. And like I said, let's just be selfish. Fragily speaking here, like when we get two or three subscribers, it would probably be a blow to my ego anyway. Um, we've thought about maybe we'll make shirts. If anyone would wear a thermonuclear AF t-shirt or a certifiably fantabulous shirt, just to figure out a way to, I, I don't even, it's not even monetize it, but like make our name a little bit more out there or people could represent us in clothes. If that's something you would wear, um, you could definitely let me know. Join our Discord to do that. If you're not already in there, the link is in the podcast and YouTube description. Um, and I'm closing up on the preamble. So, you know, don't don't worry. Sit, sit tight. Um, if you have suggestions as to what you think we could do to grow the pod, or I think at this point, the best way to help the pod and ensure that it keeps us going. If you're already subscribed, um, tell people about us, get other people to subscribe, help us spread the word about it. I don't want the the sympathy subscriptions of, Oh, they're not getting paid at this point, but the content we provide here, I think we have an absurdly fun time. Don't take ourselves too seriously. We're willing to have, especially in discord, um, there are commenters on YouTube that grade on me. I'm not going to lie. When you come in and say that Grant is giving surface level takes on the nuggets and it's annoying, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're on YouTube, and he's talking about specific pick and roll coverages and he's using historical context, context like, yeah, my response is going to be, fuck you. You want to go on Discord? We had a very spirited chat about how much, as someone who picked the nuggets to win the title, um, about their defense, whether it was important, about Jokic. And it was like, those are the conversations I... I love having, but yeah, I will get defensive and need to do a better job of just not answering those people. But like I said, I think we are one of the more underrated, understated league wide NBA podcasts out there. I think we do a great job here and I will redouble focus once we, some stuff is going to be in the fire, but I will redouble re triple focus on it when I think it's going to be worth it for the two of us. And that's, that's for grant as well. Who's been like a fantastic teammate throughout all this. But when he came on, like, this wasn't supposed to be something that was just this free endeavor. And I'm not going to continue to put the amount of time and effort into it um, when the return is going to be like nothing. It actively cost me money when you look at having to pay for different subscriptions and software. So I wanted to be fully transparent with that since I'm not going to guarantee when it happens. I'd imagine not the first week of January, but the second week and beyond, I will be scaling back here and it will probably be noticeable. And if I don't, I guess I'm just a, a psychopath who doesn't like sleep or sanity or or getting paid apparently. Um, so I did want to update with that. But like I said, you can support the show. Don't want the sympathy support. You don't need to, this is not woe is us. Grant and I are fine. Spectacular. Still love doing this great passion project. It's cathartic when we get to speak with each other. I love every single one of you who actively listens engaged. If you want to help us spread the word, or if you even have ideas, you can discord is going to be the best way to get at me there, but Twitter at Danfa Valley, YouTube comments will be tough. Um, if there's any, you know, aside from, Hey, suck less, you look, I can't suck less. I'm, I'm sorry. But, uh, that is that after a, I don't know, seven, eight minute long intro here. Uh, I will just remind you though, discord channel, YouTube, pod, YouTube, um, podcast description. That's going to be probably the best way to more consistently be in touch with me. And just, if you want more good active basketball discourse is we're going to pull back from, look, I've been doing consistently for the past six to eight months, probably between four and seven, if not more when we're doing team look at pods a week, like we've been pumping out content. Hopefully you will miss it. Um, I don't want you to miss it. Hopefully we'll get back to that type of stream. But even this week, like I had to force myself not to publish two extra ones. We're going to end up with three, maybe four this week. I thought about recording others. I have to pick what's going to be like profitable for me at this point. And that's where I'm going to um, 
focus my time for the for for the for the interim. Um, and so yeah, the social channels as well at Hardware Knox on Twitter and TikTok at Hardware underscore Knox on Instagram and subscribe, cross subscribe on on all the platforms. But any way that you can help us continue to get the word out there is the best way to support the show. Or again, just to reiterate, if you have any ideas that you think that you need to to run by me, or if you think the shirts are a good idea, I'm not really. I, I Grant and I have gone back and forth on them. Uh, or it doesn't have to be shirts, sweatshirts, clothes, hats, what whatever merchandise merch that's not something that i've thought this podcast has been popular enough to ever have so appreciate any and all feedback there is not really a discord channel for it if you want to go in there i can create one if we think our listeners in there would like to bandy that out or just throw us compliments but yes this these 10 minutes are over so let's get to the the stuff that matters which is first and foremost we had the this isn't foremost by the way i just want to talk about it the rumor on christmas from Woj that James Harden would seriously consider a return to the Houston Rockets in free agency this year. The timing of that was weird because it was Christmas. The Sixers are uh, like on a tear and Harden's been playing well. Joel Embiid has been playing well. And so it doesn't really, when you think about it, make sense about the timing and also just having the, it wasn't a throwaway line, but it was in a throwaway spot. It was at the end of the Woj article where it said that the working relationship between Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers, um, and then James Harden is this like like not is unfinished, is a work in progress, implies that it's not great. That's like it's not a five alarm fire, but that's pretty notable here. And so I first interpreted it as well, this is max contract leverage for James Harden. He took a discount to stay in Philly, ensure they get PJ Tucker and Daniel House this year, help grease the wheels of that DeAnthony Melton trade then working with under the within the hard cap, excuse me for that. So that is, that was my first instinct. And I do think there might be an element of play where that idea would be floated around out there. But then I thought about it, got to talking with red nation hoops and Salman Ali. And this doesn't feel like it necessarily would have come from Harden because the timing's so weird. Free agency is so far away that you're not gaining like a ton of leverage here. This feels like something that gets out maybe because you don't have a concrete specific agent. As far as we know, sort of handling your things behind this, the scenes. And there's going to be no one in league circles really invested in keeping that under wraps or your interest there. And so it feels like, I don't know if it was a mistake or just this, this has been out there. Apparently it was not something that I was privy to, but I've just been told that it's just been out there um, for quite some time. And it did mention, which gives it legitimacy, by the way, uh, I think it was Jake Fisher. I can't remember if he was a bleacher report at the time, but he's at Yahoo sports. Now had mentioned that, uh, that was something Harden had considered or looked at over the offseason, the ties to Houston, really missing Houston. And we all know that he has ties beyond the strip club jokes to Houston. Like that is a place where he signed multiple extensions instead of going to free agency. Uh, he had the, I don't want to say he, he was the run of the organization. He was the top priority in the organization. They tailored a lot around him and, and rightfully so uh, he had cachet there. Would he had the same cachet if he goes back? We'll get into that in a second. I buy into the rumor though. The timing is just weird and I don't know that it's consequential and there's a lot of basketball left to be played and you'd rather focus on that. Harden himself said everything's well in Philly. We have to see how the playoffs end. We have to see what they're willing to do for him in free agency. Again, I think the idea could be sort of a leverage play from Harden, but the timing doesn't imply that that's what this was. It implies that this is something that has been out there, that it is real, that he will look at it and weigh maybe his his happiness outside of basketball or just in tandem with basketball and in general, um, other than the best spot that he would be able to win a championship right now, which you look at Houston's roster and yes, they have Jalen green, they have Alperin Shangun, 
They have Jabari Smith Jr. Tar Eason's fucking fantastic. You throw Harden on there, and they could just basically sign him out, right? Their cap space is if they're if they're going to get rid of the Eric Gordon hold, which, by the way, something that's been theorized among me and others is maybe that's why Eric Gordon just hasn't been traded yet. He's a James Harden homie, and if you have him there, maybe that's another reason for James Harden to come back. Perhaps you don't pay him the full boat of his salary that's non-guaranteed next year, but you could still bring him back anyway. Uh, if you insert James Harden into that team, let's say Eric Gordon is there, they're not immediately a contender. And we've seen this movie before where if a player says, no, I'm happy to play with the youngsters and come back, and it's it's we're going to win a title and we'll build up there, James Harden's going to turn 34. It's not It's not happening. Maybe if he wins a title in Philly and then just decides, like, hey, it's time to go back to Houston, perhaps there's a level of contentment there. But if you sign James Harden, there's an implicit level of urgency. And so you're going to look at trading this year's pick, um, whoever, wherever it lands. And then you also know the Rockets are probably going to want to try and win anyway because they owe their 2024 pick to OKC with top four protection. Um, that urgency is already caked in. Harden is only going to accelerate that. And so you're going to look at trading for at least one other major player. And this could be a Kawhi Paul George situation on the older scale where James Harden is coming with somebody. Kevin Rant, MVP candidate right now. Things are hunky-dory in Brooklyn. Doesn't stay that way leading into the offseason, depending on what happens with Kyrie Irving's own free agency. Who knows? Maybe that's the guy that comes with James Harden. And you have the assets to make it happen uh, because you have extra picks from Brooklyn themselves. That would actually be hysterical if some of those picks are going back to the Nets in that deal. Uh, but you also have a bunch of these youngsters. And that would be the other thing I would bring up. If you're getting James Harden, I would be floored, flabbergasted, shocked if Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Alperin Shangun, plus next year's first round pick are all just there next season. There will be a consolidation trade. I think you can argue the Rockets need a consolidation trade as is. You just wouldn't be like, oh, let me trade Shangun and Jabari Smith or Jalen Green or Eason. Those guys I think would be considered off limits. It's, oh, like, do we turn Josh Christopher and Usman Garuba into something? Kevin Porter Jr. salary this upcoming summer. Maybe we look at look at moving. Um, you're going to look at more of a wholesale consolidation here, though. And I don't love the fit between Harden and Green. You need to set up your defense in a very, very specific way, especially if you want them to play with Shangun. This isn't to say that players wouldn't be available out there. What's going on in Toronto? Would OG be available this summer? I'd probably bet against it. Uh, but could Siakam? That might be an interesting one. That would be a name that would fit the bill. But you are, if you're going to get a Siakam, if I, I don't want to use that, even if you're going to get an OG Ananobi, you're not going to go after a Bradley Beal or Zach Levine. That doesn't make sense because you have James Harden. Uh, would you go after a, you're not going to go after a Carl Anthony Towns. That's just, uh, that wouldn't make too much sense in that scenario with Jalen Green and James Harden in the fold, unless you're going to give up Jalen Green as part of that deal um, to sort of maybe Towns is best suited as your number three option, but you're still going to have to build out a really specific defense. And so I just don't think he would be like your your primary aim if that's someone that's going to be floating around the open market. Um, an actual name that maybe springs to mind, like some people still want to bounce around Jalen Brown. I just can't see it because the the Celtics are so good. Maybe if the Clippers decided to blow it up after this year, but I don't, I don't really know that they would do it either. Jimmy Butler, is that someone who would want to play with James Harden if things kind of go south in my Miami this year? Bam out of bio would make the most sense, but he's just not going to become available. Um, but a player like a star that's going to become available, you're going to need to give up stuff to get stuff. And that would be, a, I think you would try and press to keep Jalen Green the most, but that would be your first round pick. 
this year on the table. And then having to decide, all right, are we willing to part with Jabari Smith? Maybe on a smaller scale, trying to decide, well, do we part with Eason and, and or Shangun as part of this deal? In addition to just, you know, other throw-ins, future, future picks, it depends on the player. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying, oh, okay, Wendell Carter Jr. became available. You have to trade Jabari Smith and, and your pick. No, that's not. It would have to be a higher-end talent who becomes available. Kevin Durant would certainly qualify there. So uh, that's a move the Rockets will make if they get hardened. And that's why I believe they could be reticent to make it happen. At the same time, I absolutely believe, given their own pick commitments to OKC coming up, uh, given the cap space they have, they would absolutely sign James Harden if he wants to go there. And they'll figure out the rest later. Maybe they try and buy a gap year. Again, I wouldn't expect it. Are they a team that just gets in on the LeBron James sweepstakes if Harden wants to go to Houston? Is that just the next pairing, LeBron who could be traded this summer and then James Harden in Houston. I don't love the idea of short circuiting the rebuild that much. I just wouldn't put it past the Rockets to consider it. And I think you get out of that deal. If you're signing Harden outright, you get out of that deal while not having to gut your entire youthful asset base. Like LeBron at this point, because of the size of his contract, his age, uh, I don't think like, I think the return on LeBron James would be lower than a lot of people would expect after seeing what Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell got. And maybe most people wouldn't, ex- I think most reasonable people wouldn't expect LeBron to command that much in the trade market. Maybe Kevin Durant does. I ultimately think the star trade market's going to settle a little bit that there was sort of this overcorrection with the way and the timing um, and the cavalierness with which teams are willing to give up future first round picks right now. Those distant first round picks are drying up because so many teams have already traded them. And I also think that we're going to, you're looking at what's happening in Minnesota right now. Talk about, a borderline dumpster fire teams are going to be a little bit more cognizant of, Hey, whoa, we need to pump the brakes here. And so we'll see some pullback on the star trade market, especially when that star is pushing 40 in, in LeBron James. And, you know, he could wind up being a rental if he really wants to play with Bronny when he enters the league. And so you're looking at having him for two years, let's say, um, how does he age then? And does he stick around beyond that? But like my point being here is if you get James Harden, it's not to just be a part of this rebuild in Houston. He's not going to Houston with the idea of being a part of the rebuild. He loves Houston, and I think his ties to the organization, to the city, are underrated, get overlooked, lost in the memes about strip clubs, which are, I mean, those are funny, but there's real emotional ties there. This is real to me, and that's with the Sixers kind of looking like a, an actual contender of late, and they're they're going to get Tyrese Maxey back, um, which is huge for them, and Tobias Harris has been playing really well. Their defense is perked up and I think has room to actually even improve still. Uh, so that team is a real threat. But if James Harden's not happy and he misses Houston, and it seems like he does just based off the reporting that was there after he left Houston in the first place, this is real. This could happen. And I don't know whether you would endorse it as a Rockets fan. If you're a Rockets fan listening to this, uh, watching this comment, let me know if you would want James Harden back as as like really back, not come back with a year left in his career to retire, but you want him to come back, be part of what's ever happening here, or you're willing to fashion a more urgently competitive team around him or with him. So long as you get, you get to keep, let's say you get to keep one player or one asset here. If you're really that married, cause you're in the Victor one Miyama sweepstakes. Um, what, how are you fleshing out? Like, what is, what is the goal here? Is it to try and keep two of this year's pick Jalen green and Jabari while also acquiring a star? Is that feasible? I don't know. Maybe um, that would probably be my preference. If you can keep two of those guys, this year's pick Jabari and Jalen green, I'm a lot more open to the hard idea. I'm open to it now. 
quite frankly. But like, I'll be a lot more open to it then. Uh, so James Harden stuff, that's a real threat. This is going to be a fascinating way to play out in six months. If you're, if you're Houston, there's nothing you could really do unless you need to back channel some tampering or figure out what stars are going to be available this summer that you could try to pair with James Harden. You sit tight at this point, do what you're doing right now. Maybe, you know, continue to, to, um, up Shangun's usage. They've learned a lot more stuff through him, uh, since, since Thanksgiving been good to see took them too long to get there. Uh, but st- look, bring your your young guys along. I don't know what to do with Eric Gordon in this situation. If you view him as mission critical to getting Harden and you want to keep him fine, I don't know that you're getting a first-round pick for him alone anyway right now. But um, there's nothing for them to do. This is more of a let's see how the Philly season ends. Let's see uh, how James Harden season ends. Uh, let's see what happens in the, in the postseason specifically. Uh, it's a very weighted out, which is why the timing I don't think was in service of James Harden necessarily. Other thing, one of two other things I want to talk about, Devin Booker, the groin injury, a lot of injuries going around right now. We don't even, you know, if we did an update like once a week on just all the injuries in the NBA, that could be its own podcast just to note what teams are going through, who rested. Uh, The Devin Booker groin injury is a big one. He's going to miss at least four weeks. Uh, this is the injury. It wasn't Chris Paul. It wasn't Cam Johnson. It's not Jay Crowder ghosting on the team. This is the injury that threatens Phoenix's season because of how integral he is to them. Devin Booker is to them on offense now. Score, playmaker, off-ball mover, someone who just draws an absurd amount of defensive attention. The Suns, as I record this, are 20-16, and 16, fifth in the West. That's only four losses back of first place, which is the Pelicans. Uh, it's also you know only two wins back of the play-in territory or three wins, three losses, excuse me, back of dropping out into number 11 in the West, which is the Timberwolves right now. This is a scary stretch for them. And I think what's going to be, there has to be some sort of inaction remorse here. Maybe not on the part of uh, the, you know, the suspended owner, Robert Sarver, who still owns the team for now as the sale goes through um, to Matt Ishbaya. Uh, but like, this is a team that should have made a move already to diversify or expand its weapons on the offensive end, or just to improve its top end talent. They've gotten great moments and minutes at points from Damian Lee and Josh Kogi this year. They figured out the backup five rotation as always campaign before he injures his foot. That's another injury they're dealing with. He was playing better this season, but now you've had all these reminders, these flashbulb moments peppered into the receipt to the season that are telling you, Hey, like we need someone, something to really juice up this rotation. And it's not just a matter of the Jay Crowder replacement. I think it's, this has always been it. And it's why you were tied to the Kevin Durant sweepstakes in the first place, a ball handler, or at least a secondary tertiary ball handler who can also log minutes alongside Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That's not really going to be campaign, um, especially in the playoffs. It could be Eric Gordon, but now I'm wondering, does this make it less likely they even make that move? Because they're going to want to see where they're at, or at least make that move anytime soon. They're going to want to see where they're at in a month, four weeks, when Devin Booker returns, where they will still have time before the trade deadline, although we'll be within a couple weeks of it then. Um, does it make it more likely that they kind of try to be additionally aggressive on the trade market? And I thought a lot about you know Sam Cooper at the timeline pod was a, like, this is the genesis, the Julius Randle, the Suns train. Drew Randall's been playing really well on offense now, and someone like him would be super valuable to the Suns, where, yes, Mikael Bridges has improved. DeAndre Ayton finds a way to make finesse, sometimes that's unnecessarily so work, but it's not the same as, like, a tried-and-true self-creator 
zero even step self-creator doesn't necessarily need the head of steam to get going and to um, move laterally or put some north south juice on the opposing defense and throw them into rotation. I do think we've seen more of that from Mikael Bridges this year, which is good. Not on the same level as a Julius Randle or certainly not on the same level as a Kevin Durant. I've even thought about just Gary Trent Jr. inject enough sort of on ball anarchy to make this work. And you could play him with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, so, like, I th I think there are moves to be made out there that there are players who are feasibly available or will become available. I'm just wondering, given how risk-averse the Suns seemed during the middle of the season to begin with and how hesitant the James Jones-era front office has been to make these bigger swings in the trade market. And, yes, they traded for CP3. That was just a no-brainer. That was he wanted to come to Phoenix. It made so much sense especially given what they had done um, following their performance in, in the bubble. That just, that wasn't a risk. I want to like ever since then they've gone the medium swing route at most. And I think even, even trading for Eric Gordon, I mean, even trading for like, no, not KJ Martin might be an insult, but, but like if trading for Eric Gordon would be like the single biggest risk or swing that they've taken during the CP three era. And so it's out of character for what they're doing. And again, I'm sure the change in ownership or lack thereof right now is going to hold up or at least limit what they can do. And so while NBA sales might take a little longer to go through normally, I'm wondering if there's an incentive for the league to try and push this through so that the Suns can be aggressive at the, at the trade deadline leading into it. And I do think regardless of where Booker is, you're still trying to capitalize on CP3's window and you needed that player anyway and there are, i think there are numerous needs the suns have but like the idealistic acquisition would be someone who could play forward spots and be that primary third primary ball handler alongside cp3 and devin booker like it not just staggering them playing in tandem that's like the highest end quintessential if you had to pick the nirvanic acquisition the suns could make and it doesn't have to be kevin Durant, but that type of a player I think you just need someone, even if it is a Gary Trent or an Eric Gordon, who could give you some additional on-ball creation at this point. While also then, yes, there are lineups. They might be smaller than you'd like, but you could get away with CP3 and Devin Booker for certain playoff stretches. I don't know if that player becomes available aside from the Gary Trent Jr., Eric Gordon tier. Uh, I know some people have taught. I don't I don't think OG Ananobi fits that bill. And while, I guess while this team could need him, I don't necessarily know if that's the route they need to go. Julius Randle would be kind of interesting. What are you giving up to get him? If I were the Knicks, I would still just, if you're offering me expirings and maybe now you want the Suns' first round pick this year protected for whatever, I'd do it if I'm the Knicks. Just to, like, they're still, yes, they won eight in a row. Now they've lost five in a row. There have been injuries. They're just, they're a team that's in the middle and their long-term vision is hazy. Julius Randle is not addition by subtraction per se, but he continues to open up runway when Obi Toppin comes back. And he also continues to ensure that when you are at full strength, RJ Barrett's getting more on ball reps. And I recognize that he has played more without Julius Randle lately. Uh, you were also getting more looks with Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel quickly on ball, all guys who have factored into their recent success, but you could more heavily feature them build towards the future, maybe pick up some extra flexibility and, and assets moving forward from Phoenix. I've come around on Julius Randle to Phoenix, which is not something that I thought I would do previously. I don't know that John Collins gives you enough on this. Like he has a little bit of a floor game that I think has been underexplored, but like we don't need to go the exploration route. The Suns need someone who's going to be just more proven 
in that area. Uh, I had like, and I had a weird dream the other night that Jimmy Butler requested a trade to the Atlanta Hawks. It was just, I, I, it was random and the heat had been playing better of late, but like that would imagine Jimmy Butler becomes available. He's just fed up with like, Oh, when you replace the PJ Tucker minutes, he just seems too entrenched in Miami. Um, so like try to look at higher end names that might become available. The Kevin Durant ship has sailed. Uh, it's not really in my humble opinion. He's just playing so well as are the nets that it would be truly bizarre to see them go that route. Uh, someone did suggest to me when we were talking about Raptors targets, like why wouldn't they just take a flyer on Fred Van Fleet if the cost is right? I just, the equity you have and like a CP three being traded as part of that deal. Um, and like, that's a move you could make in theory. If you wanted to trade CP three and like Trey Young all of a sudden did become available, that might help, but it's not, that's just, that's too nuclear. Like that's just too nuclear. And I also think though, I'm talking about it being too nuclear. I do think the Suns need someone more than what if we just traded for PJ Washington because of what's going on in, uh, you know, what's going on in, in Charlotte this season. And PJ Washington has played a little bit better lately. I just like, it has to be someone better than that on that scale. I don't think KJ Martin alone could be your acquisition. If it's in tandem with Gordon and Martin. Yeah. Like that's something that's, Let's talk about it. It needs to be higher end than that. And I've thrown out some names and I recognize I'm talking in circles because the trade market is that undefined right now. There's that, there's so many dearth of sellers. Uh, maybe the Suns would be in on LeBron if he could legally be traded, which he cannot be because of when he signed his extension, which he did so by design. So can't really feel too bad for him there. The name I'd thought about, and it's too tough now with the poison pill. I'd wondered if the Spurs would listen on Keldon Johnson. They got him on a fucking song of an extension and I wouldn't move him right now. Maybe Phoenix comes in with a Godfather offer and you're able to work, you know, the Spurs have cap space to burn. So it might make the, um, the trickiness of, or it not might, it can make the trickiness of the poison pill provision that much easier. That would be a name, Like, can, are they willing to say, okay, we're, we're really going to go further into this. I don't think they would, but they have tried Jeremy. So more at point guard, they have Devin Vassell when he's healthy, running a bunch of pick and rolls and he's been magnificent there. Johnson more more so looks like he's going to be like the quintessential third option on a really good team rather than sort of this number one, number two type San Antonio's tested him out from. I'd be shocked if they'd move him, but that is my, it's not my dream target for the Suns, but if he had to leave the Spurs, like Keldon Johnson on the Suns to me would just make a lot of sense. And he's shown that he can be plug and play as a shooter while giving you some of the, the downhill juice. And I think there's been more unpredictability and, changes in in cadence to his game when he is getting going downhill uh, and just been for a lot of this year like we've seen the the efficiency numbers can can be they'll wax and wane like this is someone who was in the all-star conversation for a little bit and he's been you know he's posting career numbers even if you like some of the efficiency to to tick up even if you're worried about oh well what does his role look like how does it scale if he's going to be in this this featured context. I don't think you want him in that context long-term it's, it's fine now and you're plumbing the depths of what he can do and his, and his overall limitations. But I think the Suns and maybe I'm just Phoenix fans might be married to the idea of cam Johnson when he comes back. And so like, what is that? Does that give you enough to say we're playing Keldon Johnson? Like is cam Johnson then back off the bench is Keldon Johnson, someone you would rather bring off the bench and he's about to get paid. So why, or his extension about to kick in, would you have paid him that to be your sixth man? And I think that's where you sort of run into issues is that you want, if you're going to acquire someone or give up a lot to get someone, you want it to be a clear, well, we're going to start them or close them. If it's the Godfather offer, Kevin Durant. Yes. You, he closes over cam Johnson. It's Mikhail bridges. Deion. Well, I guess in a Kevin Durant situation though, you're not dealing with keeping all of Mikhail bridges, 
DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson. Theoretically, in a Kelvin Johnson situation, you could. But that was just sort of my, I would say, off the beaten path target that I don't expect to become available. And then, of course, you need to mention Kyle Kuzma. I think it would be exactly what this team needs. And you can definitely toggle with, oh, maybe he's not closing every game once Cam Johnson is healthy. But also, maybe you're going when you, I've looked at, and it's different if you're going to be the primary back line guy, but like the way Kuzma's defended this year and some of the, the help plays that he's made around the basket, you could just go like really super small during the non eight minutes and with Kuzma Johnson, Bridges, CP3, and Devin Booker when you're fully healthy. Those are just some names to think about. I think even a Boyan Bogdanovich would go a long way still here, depending on the, the cost. And that's someone who I don't think you'd be obligated to close all the time. There'll be matchups where um, you might prefer Cam Johnson, who's just going to provide you with more defense. Um, and that's that that's a big deal. Boyan Bogdanovich, better, I, I'll say comparable shooters, but he's going to give you more out of ISOs at this point. He's been one of the more effective scores on drives this year out of isolations. That's just another good late game weapon to have, or just again, someone with size who can play alongside Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Uh, took me so long to get him because I think we've talked about him ad nauseum on this pod as a target for the Suns. That's where Madden Phoenix. I think they need to make a move, not to take away from what's actually happening on the court, but like you're already pulling back in the standings. Devin Booker was clearly even going through it like before his actual injury tried to play on Christmas day. Uh, couldn't do it. This is, this is the injury when it was cam Johnson. It was troublesome. When it was CP three, I had moved beyond the he's mission critical to what they do, but I, we know who the most important, most valuable player to the Suns really is on the court. And that's Devin Booker. And to be without him for this long in a Western conference with such a thin margin for error is a little bit terrifying. I'm not going to lie. I'm just, I'm look, I'm not going to lie. It's like I said it before. You are four losses back of first place in the West, which you were in first place earlier this month. I believe we've had like four or five different teams have the top spot in the West it, during December. That's wild. You were also like, and let's even go past the Timberwolves at this point. You are currently four losses in front of the 12 seed Oklahoma city Sun thunder. And we can throw the Lakers in there if you want to pay five losses, but they're just irrelevant to me at this point. Last, but certainly not least. And, uh, we need to. Sh- I need to shout out the question. I'm going to try and find it here. That it didn't inspire me because I'd written about this, so it ended up being super to- topical. But it's the MVP discussion, and it's with Nikola Jokic. Uh, hopefully, yeah, Nuggets fans, they were pretty pissed at the conversation we had, which I thought was fine uh, on YouTube and some on Twitter about d- building a defense around Jokic and and whether it could win a title. I I believe it could. Grant believe it didn't. I thought we both brought valid points, and that it's fair to be concerned, but that's fair to say. Just because we've seen it, like we've never seen it, doesn't mean it can't happen. Uh, but the question came from Halal Murray. What are some arguments against Jokic winning MVP that aren't about things like voter fatigue? And this is something I've given a lot of thought to because I do an MVP ladder every other week. And numerous times throughout this season, I've wondered whether my own cowardice has held back Nikola Jokic's standing within that ladder. Not the overarching discussion. I don't pretend to matter. Uh, on this, I don't even, I'm so bad at like the feedback loop from the podcast and how much I've invested in it and how browbeaten you are when things aren't going well. I don't even promo my written work now, which is, you know, I'm proud of the written work put out there, but I'm just afraid still it's a weird, I'm progressing further in the industry, but I'm more worried about getting this feedback loop of if people disagree or if something goes against the grain, I put Nicole Jokic at number one on my MVP, latest MVP ladder. That was my point. I had, this was before Luka Doncic went for his 60 burger against the Knicks. And so like, that's like, that, again, the MVP race is going to be epic if it keeps up. But I had Jokic at my, on my number one spot, my MVP ladder um, when I last did it, which was December 27th. 
numerous times throughout this season, he's been no higher than five before that. And I've wondered whether my own cowardice has held him back in that ladder because it's not meant to be predictive. Those are mine. What I'm saying right now, I'd probably vote for Nikola Jokic for MVP. That is my pick. That is not based on what I think will happen, which is I think that vote fatigue will kick in for him and Giannis both because they've combined to win the past four awards. At the same time, even though I'm approaching it this way, the idea that voter fatigue alone will probably prevent Jokic from winning a third straight MVP, it gnaws at you. And even if inadvertently, it probably factored in at least once or twice, even though I don't think he had the most MVP-ish start to the season. He was clearly looking to involve others more than he has so right now. I finally got past that point because he is Jokic is checking every imaginable MVP box emphatically and beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you need your MVP to pile up counting stats on bonkers efficiency? Jokic is doing that. He's averaging a triple double over the past few weeks while shooting, you know, 60, 67% inside the arc. Basically is domination of advanced metrics. Your thing. That's not a sweat. Pick a catch all stat. Jokic probably Jokic probably ranks number one in it. The Denver Nuggets are also better with him on both sides of the floor. And he continues to lead the NBA in net rating swing among everyone who has logged at least 125 minutes this season. And this is like the net rating swings. We've now, I think, played enough games to where we can look into them as meaningful. And yes, Denver's bench does help prop that net rating swing up because they are so bad without Nikola Jokic on the floor. But this isn't last season where Nikola Jokic is on the floor and they're good amid just a supporting cast that is less than ideal. When Nikola Jokic is on the floor, they are trucking opponents, just absolutely annihilating them by 11.1 points per 100 possessions. Their defensive rating is better with him on the court. That's something we will talk about in a second. So you can't sit here and use voter fatigue as an excuse anymore. And like, well, first, forget that. So we're have the net rating, the largest in the league. Do you also need your MVP to have concrete evidence that he uplifts everyone around him. Denver's effective field goal percentage improves by eight points with Jokic in the game. That's the league's highest mark again. And so, yes, it makes sense when he has the highest net rating. But like he's improving the efficiency of his team by a margin that is larger than anyone else in the league. And the other thing that I think we need to consider here, are team wins important to you? Or does best player on the best team speak to you? The Nuggets are second in the Western Conference within a heartbeat of first, within a heartbeat of a top two record in the league. They're, this is not a trade-off of, oh, Jokic doesn't have enough help around him, so we're rewarding him. They are a really fucking good basketball team. They are a title contender. And the other thing, and I think this might be the most important to actually ensure that Jokic can win his third MVP award consecutively, which is something that, uh, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, and Larry Bird are the only players to ever have done. Last year, it was a matter of, wow, look at what Jokic is doing with so little help around him. The year before was, look how dominant Jokic is and how dominant the regular season Nuggets are. This season is a meld of both. You haven't, Jamal Murray's gotten better, but he has not been Jamal Murray. These recoveries from an ACL are typically, as, as Kawhi Leonard said, a two-year process where it's you're out, and then you have to work your way back, and then it's hopefully you return to normal. Jamal has looked better. He has not been 
top 25, fringe top 25 player, Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. has barely played. They've saddled Bones Highland with too much responsibility um, in light of the Monte Morris trade. You don't regret that trade because of how good of a fit KCP is, but it's 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 definitely put a strain on him he's not ready for. Maybe it helps him down the line. The bench has not been great overall. And so the Nuggets, their supporting cast, even if on paper it looks more ideal, their supporting cast, outside of their top six guys, outside of their top end units, it's been less than ideal. It's been in flux. And even some of their top end guys have either not been available or not been themselves. And so it's, oh, look how much help, look how much more help Jokic can need. And yet the Nuggets are still elite. Elite. So that argument that you're not picking one, it's both. It's a marriage of both of them now. Jokic leading a team to title contention despite not having a pitcher-perfect supporting cast that has played, let's call it a, according to plan, because I don't just want to dismiss, dismiss Jamal Murray's contribution. The two-man game between him and Nicole Jokic is, is gorgeous still. And so back to the question from Allah, what is the actual reasonable argument against Nicole Jokic winning MVP? And when we're at this level, if you want to split hairs and say default to someone you trust more in the postseason, that's fine. If this is a regular season award, but if you at the level have to really look at it and say, wow, I can't separate between Kevin Durant and Luka Doncic and a healthy Steph Curry, what Jason Tatum has done in Boston. If you can't, if we're at a point where you can envision multiple players reasonably winning MVP. And right now I would say I can envision that to where Steph pulls back because of the absence now, but between Kevin Durant, Tatum, Jokic and Doncic, I think there are four players that if you told me you were going to pick them to go to be the MVP this year, I don't know that I have like the best overall counter argument for you because they've all been so great. And it also, that's part of the ambiguity behind MVP criteria. There's no definitive set of what constitutes. If you want it to be the best player on the best team, that needs to be stipulated. I don't think team wins aren't a stat to me, but if we want to go that route, the Nuggets are, again, one of the best teams in the NBA. This is not just Nicole Jokic benefiting from a lack of help um, or me penalizing Jason Tatum for having a really good supporting cast. Or I gravitate more towards guys who are kind of just the, the driving force of everything on offense, both on and away from the ball, a Jokic, a Curry, even a Doncic, sure. But like Tatum is not is in the discussion. But when we're at this level where there are four players, and let's just say Steph came back tomorrow, I could see it being five. Like that's how good he was, is this season. And you have to look at it through the lens of the postseason. I get it. You also have to acknowledge that Nicole Jokic has been really great in the postseason offensively. He was great against the Warriors last year. And if you're going to harp on the defensive concerns, again, I think those are really fair. They nuggets more recently than anything have showed that they're going to try and defend different ways with different bodies on the court. You can go back and listen to the nuggets conversation. I think at full strength, their top end units are good enough defensively to win a championship. I'm not arguing that. Um, do I think that Nicole Jokic is a liability on defense? No, I do not. Is he a liability in certain matchups? Absolutely. You could say the same for almost every player in the NBA. Do I think he um, forces you to defend a certain way where he has to come up to the level of the screen or you have to avoid drop as much as possible? Yes and no. Yes, I think he does. But like if you have someone else with size, in addition to Aaron Gordon, so someone else with real size, not a not a Bruce Brown, who I think I always discredit for his size. Like uh, uh, you know, KCP is 6'5. Bruce Brown is a little bit girthier, but he's also uh he stands at 6'9. And so I say size, but like he's just a like a it feels like a low center of gravity, 6'9. Is that unfair to say? He's like 
perfect. But like someone who is bigger, like longer, lankier, whatever you want to say, if it was pairing a Jeremy Grant with an Aaron Gordon, then I think you could defend how almost however the hell you want around Jokic. And so I don't think it's, I don't think it's inflexible beyond repair. And I think we've seen the Nuggets try a bunch of different, having Christian Brown in there at certain moments because he's a little bit bigger uh, has, has helped um, recently. And they, I think it was, I can't remember which game it was. I mentioned this on the past podcast was against the Grizzlies where was they threw just a, like it was, Hey, we're going to go after them with size and length and like threw more coverages than I think you would normally see in the half court defensively at Memphis. And so there's that. I think that everything is, that they are good enough at their top end to win a title and that we can't use this to discredit Jokic's MVP case. Uh, even look, I mean, simple things like defensive rebounding and ending possessions, uh, the other team's possession that has value in itself. Uh, but if you're going to look at it and say, that is the argument is my point, which speaks because it's relatively flimsy as far as counter arguments go. It speaks to how serious a contender Nicole Jokic is for this third consecutive MVP award and for making NBA history. You asked me to choose now. I don't have faith that voter fatigue won't kick in for him and for Giannis, by the way, who's like kind of on the outskirts of this discussion, but the Bucs are weird all of a sudden. I know they haven't had Chris Middleton and the big three has played five games together, but it's just the half-court offense is wonky and Giannis has taken, and he's made some like really nice mid-rangers, but it just feels off. Could still enter the conversation because he's Giannis. That being said, I, while I don't have faith that Nicole Jokic will win his third consecutive MVP award, the argument against him, it's not that it doesn't exist. We are now at the scale where it's like microscopically thin and you really have to search for reasons not to include him in the discussion or to add, forget about voting for him. He needs to be in this discussion. And I don't know. I've seen people tweet about the agendas of leaving him off. I've seen him in, including my own MVP ladder at number one. I've seen him in other MVP ladders. We don't need to invent straw men when we know they exist and that Drew Hanlon's going to tweet something fucking stupid about it eventually if he hasn't already. Uh, he already did it at, at Luca's expense. So I was going to say that I don't think there aren't other deserving picks. I had Luca top my MVP ladder for the longest time. I'd Steph ahead of Jokic for the longest time before his injury. Jokic is a real candidate to win his third MVP award. And voter fatigue is not an excuse, like Kalal Murray mentions. It would be, do I trust him enough in the postseason relative to Luca or to Kevin Durant or to Steph Curry or to Jason Tatum? And you should trust Jokic at the level because of what those guys do best are what they're mostly going to do best in the playoffs. Should Jason Tatum, Tatum not win because of how he was shut down by the Warriors in the finals? This is a regular season award and it's an important to separate that. But at the level of where we're at right now, I understand where you would scale forward into the postseason, And I don't think that needs, I don't think that needs to be a huge part of the thinking um, nor do I think that it should be a huge part of thinking. This is a regular season award at its heart. It's just that this isn't last year where I think Jokic, I mean, you could have went Giannis uh, and maybe even Embiid. So like it was close enough to that's how, what swayed your vote. But if your vote was voter fatigue or Jokic is just a liability on defense or a team that has him can't win a title, that doesn't work anymore insofar as it ever did, which by the way, it didn't. It doesn't work now. It's disingenuous. And so you have to be honest, which is something that I would want to do with yourself and say, okay, do I trust Jokic as much as I trust Luka Doncic in the playoffs? And you know what? The answer to me is yes, because of what they both do best is going to scale to the playoffs. When you get into flaws, if Jason Tatum can be sort of a, um, you know, harassed by by length and and double teams, yeah, it's only one team, but should that matter? Like, or maybe it's two, two, three teams, depending on the defensive personnel. Should that matter? 
like all these players have their flaws. I think, uh, I mean, like Kevin Durant's probably pretty close to a flawless player uh, with the way that he's defending for most of this year. Still, if you want to frame it that way, I think that's fine. It's not something I would necessarily do to say, I trust Kevin Durant more or Luka more in the playoffs. So that's who I would vote for. That would not, has not been my deciding factor yet. I'm saying that it could be a deciding factor and that's fine. Do I agree with it? I look at this as a regular season award. Nicole Jokic is checking every regular season box imaginable. One that shouldn't even count for as much as they do, which is caps lock team wins. They're there. The Nuggets contending for a top spot in the Western Conference. This isn't them hovering around five, six, whatever. So Nicole Jokic might actually win his third MVP award if people are paying attention and can get past voter fatigue. He has been, to me, the league's most valuable player to date. And I don't know if that would have changed with the Steph Curry injury. I might go back and forth with Luka on any given day. He, to me right now, is the single most valuable regular season player in the league. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hope you, if you listened to the full episode, enjoyed some of the candor and transparency that was behind it. Thank you all for a great year helping us set our modest record for downloads. Again, just audio, um, at least, you know, at least seeing half a million insights was pretty cool, not including YouTube and all that. Haven't gone through the year on YouTube, but that was a pretty good year for growth, even though we're still small. Subscribe to us, YouTube and all your podcasts. If you're this far and you're not subscribed, I don't, I honestly, I'm impressed. Like I'm almost impressed like that you've avoided subscribing. Um, subscribe though. And uh, tell people about us. You know, if you can convince someone to listen to us, send me a screenshot, tag me on Twitter about it. Tell me about it, that you recommended us via word of mouth and feedback. As I mentioned, is always appreciated ways for the pod to get better, to expand anything along those lines until next time, join the discord link in the YouTube podcast, this podcast description. And I also leave you with a shout out to one, the only, the legendary, the real MVP, if we're being honest. Right. Yeah.